Earlier in the week, I was talking with somebody about the, it would be really good if we could get some good pictures taken for tomorrow night, which is no longer tomorrow night, but what night, man? Thursday night, exactly. It would be great to have good pictures taken. And um, I said to the individual, individual I was talking to, I said, I'm not the guy to take pictures. I get one or two pictures taken, then I start talking. I'm done. I forget where I put the camera, okay? I don't remember to take pictures. So we need to find somebody who can come and take pictures. So I am not the picture-taking kind of guy. But I have on occasion taken a good picture. And I was traveling 38 years ago, and I took one of my all-time favorite pictures. And I'm wondering, Jeff, if you could show this to us. Absolutely. If you can see this picture, there's a lot of beauty in this picture. Okay, first of all, this Great Smoky Mountains back here. Okay, very, very beautiful. Also, right here, an absolutely beautiful young woman. Notice the waist-length red hair, huh? What guy could would not be caught by waist-length red hair right there? This is probably... My favorite picture of Lori from our honeymoon, which we were on 38 years ago right now. So when I say 38 years ago, I mean it's like to about the day that this picture was taken. And we had an absolutely great time. And uh, I just love this picture of my new wife. That's how it is. And there's one other thing of beauty in this. In this and that is, would you notice where she's sitting? Oh, 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 I'll tell you what, you can't see it as well as you would like, so here, we'll give you a better picture of it, okay? That is my first new car that I ever purchased, the 1976 Mustang II, had a four-cylinder engine, I'm telling you that, baby, it could really take off, I'm, I mean, it just, you had to hold it back or it would get away from you with four cylinders, and I wish I still looked that way, but I do not, and that's how that is. All right, but you can also see, can't you, young ladies, why Lori snagged me, huh? Huh? You can see it. You go, oh, he had it at one time. He's lost it, but he did have it for a time. Well, about the car, because it's all about the car. I really did like that car. And that car had something, and it was a stick shift. And that, that stick shift had something. When I first learned to drive stick shift, low-end cars did not have a first-gear synchro. And I, I think the full name they called in Chicago, we called it a first-gear synchro mesh. And all that that means was, as you get down to slower speed, you could drop it into first gear. The original first uh, uh, manual transmissions, you kind of almost had to come to a stop before you could get it into first gear. So it was really fun to get it down and then just, you know, kind of drop it into first. You know, you know how it goes, guys. I was doing it, I promise you, with that stick shift. Okay? So what was happening, and... We've got engineers here. Josh's parents are here. His dad's an engineer. We've got mechanics here. I can't tell you how a first gear synchro works, but I can tell you it has something to do with gears. And I just want you to picture if this is a gear that's spinning really fast and this gear's not interlocked, and then you just try to put it in there, what's going to happen? You're going to hear that bzz, bzz, and then the guy sitting in the you know seat next to you, that guy's going to say, hey, ground me up a few pounds while you're at it, right? I mean, we've been there. So you need to be able to get these gears to synchronize with each other so they can turn one on the other. Well, 
It had first gear synchro, and the first stick shifts I drove did not. So I thought this was really an incredible upgrade. And I liked that car. I liked the girl in the pictures, and I liked the great Smoky Mountains. And that's just how it was 38 years ago. What has that got to do with anything we're going to talk about? Well, we have been talking about man from creation to redemption. And we have seen some things about this thing called redemption, and we have spent a number of weeks developing the concept of regeneration. Regeneration, we've said a number of things about it. I will remind you. We've said regeneration is required by the Son. Regeneration is acquired through the Spirit. The author of regeneration is for us. The offer of regeneration will free us. The power of regeneration will transform us, and the process of regeneration will fulfill us. Now, the reason I wanted to review those things is... Jeff, can I have that picture back just for a second, bud? I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't make it clear to him when I might want it to go off. The reason that I wanted to review those is for us to understand that this concept of regeneration that the Bible clearly teaches is a dynamic one. The Spirit of God is doing something. So I'd like us to think in terms of this as the Spirit of God, and it's moving. It is moving. It is dynamic. Everything we've read about regeneration, it is a process that God is doing in our lives. Well, as we continue to walk on in our Christian life and God initiates this process of regeneration, it is not simply that. We may get the impression that, that the Bible teaches, hey, it's all about what the Spirit does, and we have no real connection to it. So we just kind of disconnect here, and it spins on its own, and we don't connect. No. We very much connect with this process of regeneration and this dynamic that the Spirit is bringing, the question that I always struggle with is how to explain that? How do you explain how it is we connect with what God is doing in this thing called regeneration? As I have looked at a number of the scriptures that deal with this topic, it strikes me, here's one way to look at it, Okay, it strikes me that the walking in regeneration, understanding it, being engaged in it, being connected to it, as the Holy Spirit is doing something dynamic and it's impacting our lives, is set forth for us not so much in a bunch of prescriptive rules. It is set forth for us in a series of contrasts. And so for the next few weeks, I want us to consider what we're going to simply call spiritual synchronization, meaning how do we get our gears connected with the gears of the Holy Spirit, which, which God is already doing. And that's why we took so much time to emphasize this side of the equation in this dynamic thing called our redemption, our salvation, particularly the topic of regeneration. How do we now get synchroed into that. Just like downshifting my old Ford into, a, into first gear, it went smoothly. How is it we work together with the Holy Spirit? Does that make sense? So we're going to look in the next few weeks at a series of contrasts. We're only going to take one contrast per week. And this week, our contrast... Thanks, Jeff. That's good now. This week, our contrasts are simply do this, don't do that. 
do this, don't do that. And you'll see it come forth. And each of the things that we say, the, the texts are longer, and they seem to just, in my mind, they seem to just keep rolling back on top of one another. Much like with the regeneration swirl, they just keep showing up, but there's no simple way how to line them out. And so what we're going to do, we're just going to look at this series of contrasts. And the first one, do this. Each of these, we're going to take a very brief text. You've heard every one of these before. They sit in a much broader context. Okay, so you'll see the longer context given to you, the reference is given to you in your notes. We don't have time to read all of those scriptures. So we're going to simply zero in on exactly what we want. So from Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5, there you are, Galatians 5.16, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. How do we get connected with the Spirit? Well, one of the hints here is that we are to walk in the Spirit. And in so doing, as we are walking in the Spirit, and it's going to take a while for this all to begin to make sense, and I trust that it will in time. That also means you've got to stay with us for a few weeks here and uh, kind of hear the in- in- entire thing unfold. But walk in the Spirit, you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now here's a, the greater portion of it. For this flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, these are contrary to one another, so that you do not the things that you wish, but if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. So understand that however this dynamic works, it is in contrast to living out a religious set of rules and declarations. They had done a pretty good job by the time Jesus was on the scene of defining from the Old Testament scriptures, there's like 365 prohibitions and 280 some or whatever the numbers were. There are people who count these things. Uh, Admonitions of things you had to do. And that's where the Pharisees became so pharisaical is they set up all these rules and regulations and if you follow these to the letter, you were considered righteous before God. You were following the law. And that's why Paul was able to say that he was a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Pharisee of Pharisees regarding the law perfect because he followed all of these things. But he realized there was this problem within him. He could never quite solve the sin issue in his life. And following these things never quite allowed him to deal with that because he found that the flesh less against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. You see, you know what? As we learn to walk in the spirit, we don't fill the flesh anymore. We don't follow it. What I find freeing about this, what I find fascinating about this, and something that some of us need to consider, is we somehow think We can fall into what I believe is this, it's an easy place to go. We somehow think that in in order to be pleasing to God and in order to to, uh, live the life as we're supposed to be with being good Christians, that we got to come up with all these rules that we follow and we follow those rules and then we'll be good Christians. What I have found is those rules different in different areas. Different areas of the country, different areas of the world. they got different rules even within different fellowships within the same town. There's different rules about what it is that you're really going to be a good Christian if you follow these rules. 
and you follow all of these instructions. Now that makes for a good Christian. Then we point fingers at other Christians and say, well, they follow the wrong rules. It is not about following rules. Walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. That's universal. It doesn't matter what town, what state, what country you live in. You walk synchronized with the Holy Spirit of God. And you will not need a set of rules you've got to follow. Because the Spirit of God is going to be engaging you and empowering you to live as God would have you to live. You'll be in sync with Him. Let me throw out one other if, if we can. And now from Ephesians, Jeff, if you would, Ephesians 5. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So we have walking in the Spirit. We have being filled in the Spirit. And I understand we come to places where we get uh, different views on what filling of the Spirit means. And some people live their life on this kind of thing and says, this is what it is. And, boy, if you haven't had these experiences, you're not filled with the Spirit. Folks, Look at this verse. It sets a contrast up that helps us understand filling of the Spirit. It sets it up with don't be drunk with wine, which is dissipation. Don't be drunk with wine. What happens when we are drunk? What, why do people like to drink? I remember when I was in Travanagh Labs. And at that, by that point, and I'm not speaking against drinking. Do not get me wrong here. I want to make sure I'm clear. I stepped away from drinking at a certain point in my life for very particular reasons. I'd been in the industry for five and a half years. I saw what it was doing to people, and I realized I'd rather share Jesus with people than a beer. That's what it came down to. That was my life. That was my experience. I am not speaking down to anybody here who, you know, if, if alcohol is a part of your life right now, I'm not speaking against that. I'm trying to understand this scripture that says, don't be drunk with wine. We're in his dissipation. What happens when we become drunk? Back to when I worked at Travanagh Labs. I remember a guy coming to me talking about this issue because I had given it up by then. And he says, well, what's wrong? What's wrong with going out and drinking? And then, and then you, and I said, why do you have to drink? Because then when I go out and drink with my friends and all these lady folks, man, all the inhibitions come down and now we can really party. There's a problem with me, I found. This is me, people, okay? I found there was a problem with me when I got there so I could really party. So I could go ahead and let the inhibitions down. You don't like me when my inhibitions are down. I don't like me when my inhibitions are down. I am ashamed of how I behaved when alcohol allowed my inhibitions to come down. It is nothing of which I am proud at this point in my life. I believe we don't do real well as people in general. If you say, hey, guess what? You get to cut loose and do whatever you want on anything. Let your emotions go. Let your actions go. Let your mind go. Go wherever you want. That's dissipation. We go anywhere, and it's self-destructive, and it's not pretty. Walk in this, or, or excuse me, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. Don't get to that place where hey, anything goes, everything's good, everything's fine. No, instead, be filled with the Spirit so that the presence of the Holy Spirit is what is controlling you. 
The presence of the Holy Spirit is what is defining who you are and how you operate and what you are expressing. We just sang it earlier. By the way, Josh, there were some magnificent songs that you selected there. Thank you. That I think it is. Oh, I wish I was writing these down. I didn't know they were coming and I sort of written them down because they fit this exactly. But about being overwhelmed or whatever the word was with the Spirit, we sang about that. That the Spirit of God might fill us. That the Spirit of God might be that driving gear in our lives. And we're in sync with it. And when we're there, we're doing things that are satisfying and enjoyable and good. And we're not fulfilling the flesh and being out there doing whatever we want because somehow we think that's what, that's what we need to do. In fact, as I have given thought to this through the years... It's not a question of drinking. It's a question of the drunkenness and what happens after that. I think, I think if I could put it for my best understanding, what's, where Scripture has a problem is not with drinking. Are we clear? It is with the drunkenness and the party spirit that goes with it because there's rebellion in that party spirit. That party spirit is based on do whatever you want. It's not based on let God be filling you and leading you. There's the difference. It's a basic rebellious spirit to God's presence in our life to let the inhibitions down, do what we want. Okay, so there's another thing. We are going to walk in the spirit. That's a do. We're going to be filled with the spirit, allowing the spirit of God to be the driving influence in our life. That's what we do in order to connect to this dynamic, power-driven, Holy Spirit regeneration that is going on in our lives. That's the one side. Because God's doing a work. Remember that. God is doing the work as part of our salvation. Other side, don't do that. First Thessalonians chapter 5. Tucked in there amidst a, a number of other descriptive things. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not quench the Spirit. The Spirit of God is trying to do something. The Spirit of God is at work. The Spirit of God is dynamic. He's moving. Notice some of the stuff around this. We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone, but also, but always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. Abstain from every good form of evil. If we are walking in the Spirit, these, these things that we are encouraged to do here, these are the things that will become part and parcel to how we live our lives, being transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. But we're told, do not quench the Spirit. Don't put it out. Don't snuff it out. If the Spirit of God is seeking to move somewhere, whether in us individually, whether within our families, whether within us as a church, don't stop the movement of the Spirit of God. Allow it to go forward. Allow the Spirit to express what He is trying to accomplish and let that unfold. Miles has challenged me. He doesn't know it, but he has really challenged me as he came back from the district conference and was so excited about what he learned. 
And one of the things that strikes me as I've been reading the book that he came from, one of the things that strikes me is, is the, guy, the guy who spoke about the life of churches is kind of like you hit about 20 to 25 years and something happens. And you can tend to plateau. And this is something I've said for a long time. You can never rest. You go, no, no, no. You can't stop. You never reach it. We can get to a place, and we can rest for a short period of time, but we need to know we're only resting, and it's by design that we're resting, but we're going to pick it up and climb the mountain a little higher next time. But what this guy's point was that Miles challenged me with is if you plateau, you stay on the plateau long enough, and you're going to begin to taper off. About every 20 years, you can run through these cycles. I don't know if I mean, he was hinting. He's like, I care, have you noticed you just passed 20 years here? Gary, have you noticed you lost the edge? Gary, have you noticed we're about to fall off the cliff? Come on, Gary, something's got to happen. But it really challenged me to consider, have we reached a place at 20 years? Because we have seen wonderful things. But are we in danger of just saying, we're here? We cannot. And we have to think new ways. We have to have new concepts. We have to understand that in order to go to another place of excellence, we've got to go about it a different way. There's something new God's going to bring to us. Some new emphasis that we need to have. I trust as we continue to talk with one another, because that seems to be how God leads us, as we continue to deal with one another respectively, entertain new ideas, pray over them, that God will lead us into what this new area is. You know what my concern is? My concern is somebody saying, ah, that's not how we do it. And the spirit is quenched. You see, because we've always done it this way. This is who we are. Plowing new ground makes me uncomfortable. I want to stay where I'm comfortable. And the Spirit of God is saying, hey, guys, i got great things for you. There's more things for your church. I want to just break down more barriers. I want to take more people for the kingdom. And I want to use you to that. And we're going, no, but we're comfortable right here. And the Spirit goes, okay, I'll find somebody else. That's what frightens me. And it can come from me. Oh, it can come from any one of us here who says, I like the way this is. I've probably told you, ministering in a church where we were seeing growth of about one family every six weeks we were picking up. It was fun. It was fun, but it was changing the church. And one curmudgeon from that church approached me one day and he said, whatever happened to our nice little church? <laughs> Buddy. It's growing. That's what happened. Good things are going on here. But he didn't want the good things because he wanted it the way he always knew it and the way he could control it. We're not to quench the Spirit. Don't stop that movement. Now, it does say test all things. Hold fast what is good. It doesn't say anything goes. It doesn't just say blow the doors wide open, let anything happen, and call it the Spirit of God at work. No, that would not honor God. So we're looking for some balance, but we need to be open that the Spirit of God may call us to things we have not even considered yet, just a thought. And that may be true for our own, in our own personal lives, in our families, whatever, but, his, but Paul writes, don't quench the Spirit. Understand the Spirit's movement and let the Spirit have His way. 
Let the Spirit be the driving gear, and you synchronize with it, and then see what God does. Don't quench the Spirit. And then from Ephesians chapter 4, can we go there, Jeff? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Here's another thing that we ought not to do. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Literally, don't make the Holy Spirit of God sad. Now, I'd be honest with you, I struggle with understanding this. I struggle with understanding it. How is it? Now, now, we know that the Holy Spirit is a person. We've already studied that. So we understand that. We, under, we know that the Holy Spirit has emotions. What I have a hard time understanding is how anything that somebody as puny as me does actually will sadden the Holy Spirit of God. But the text says that. So how does that happen? Now, some of you perhaps have a much better concept of how that works in me. Uh, but let's just, let's just give it a little bit of context, okay? Let no corrupt word proceed out of... I'm going to pick it up in verse 29. It won't be up there. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed all the days of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. So somewhere in those admonitions as to what this life looks like when we're in sync with God's Spirit, he just slides that in as don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Parents, you're doing your best to build into your children's life. You're doing your best to provide something that is, going to, that is going to invest in them and help them come to be independent, competent, capable adults, productive in society, faithfully serving the Lord, understanding their role as Christians, and, and how God wants to use them. You're doing your best because you know for your child that is the absolute best place for them to live that he or she will walk with the Lord and find themselves to be in the center of God's will with this empowering thing of the Spirit of God at work in them, using them for everything that God has designed them. And so you do all you can in order to move them in that direction, hoping that they're going to take at some point and they're going to get it. The lights are going to go on and say, I want to walk in this. I want to live this. And that's where your heart is as parents. Where all of our hearts is as parents, who as we're seeking to honor the Lord. And sometimes we feel the pain of when our children choose something else, maybe something self-destructive, something just outright rebellious to the things of the Lord. And there's a there's a brokenheartedness that goes with that. That's the best that I could understand that we might identify with as far as grieving the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit's doing all these great things. The Holy Spirit of God wants to change us into the image of God's Son, using the Word of God to change us into the image of Jesus Christ. How cool is that? And that gear is turning, and that gear is doing all of this stuff so that we might enter into the fullness of that. 
And when we just blow it off and say, no thanks, I'll, I'll ride my own little power system. I'll hook up to a different gear and I'll let that turn me for a while. Somehow, the Holy Spirit goes, wow, I'm sorry you're settling for something less. I'm saddened to know that you're going to let something else attempt to fill your life and it never will. Because there's nothing better than being right here, connected to the power gear of the Holy Spirit, being enmeshed with that as He is regenerating us and we are synchronized with it and that His power is getting rolled into our life and we are changing into Christ's likeness and we are engaged in the things that He's calling us to do and we're finding life is good here. And say, oh, I've had enough of that. Thank you. That's the best I got. But I do know we're told don't quench the spirit and don't grieve the spirit. There's a dynamic thing going on here. Don't put a stop to it. Let God do what he wants to do. Let him be the power driving gear in our lives and hook up to that and draw our power off of him. And when we do that, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. We will be filled with God's working engagement in our lives and it's going to move us into good places. This is just to start, friends. We have other things. But I wanted you to see these four things. You've heard them all before. I wanted to lay them out in front of you specifically together. Here's some do's. Here's some don'ts. I describe it this way. This whole process of what God is trying to do in our lives causes us to live life from a new center. It's no longer a place where we're just working really hard to be as religious and as good as we ought to be. It's no longer a place where we think we're so smart we can figure it out on our own. It's no longer a place where we say, you know what, I get to do what I want because I think that's where the joy will come from. The new center is the Spirit of God empowering our lives so that we are becoming more like Christ as we are in sync together. And there's no better way to live. I'm convinced of it. There's no greater joy than drawing off of the power of the Spirit's dynamic. Let's pray. Father, give us a hunger, Lord, I ask, a hunger that we might desire your work in our lives that we might desire for you to change us, that we, might, uh, that we might seek to be engaged where you would have us to be engaged, to work in harmony and synchronization with the Holy Spirit, that his power becomes our power, that we might be the people you want us to be, that we might accomplish the things you want us to accomplish, Lord. Thank you for this magnificent work. You're already committed to doing this power. You're already spinning into our lives. Thank you for that. The problem is whether or not, Lord, we're going to get connected to it, whether we will sink with it or whether we will reject it. Oh, Lord, speak to us today and give us hearts that simply desire to let you empower us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen.